And because of that, his mercy towards us will never end. And just as sure as the sun is going to rise, that is the way it is. That is a fact, and nothing can change that. And so when I'm, like, having a hard time or stuff doesn't seem like it's going, like she talks about when you're in the dark and you, and hope doesn't, it's not apparent, that's what you go back to is the stuff we did at the beginning of Romans 8. Okay, so everybody turn in their Bibles to Psalm 23. You might even have that in your head. So, But this... What I wanted to sum this up with is, um, is this. So we know all those things that we talked about, our standing with Christ and that kind of thing in Romans 8. And then we've talked about suffering. And then if you just end with that, it, the question comes to your mind of, well, how is God going to get... Because we just want to figure it all out. It's like Christy... Freeman and I were sitting here talking about, you know, we want the grace for every possible thing that's going to happen in our life. (laughs) Can you just go ahead and give me that right now? You know, like, I'm going to make up some things that could happen, you know. And so can you just go ahead and give me the grace for those? Well, first of all, some of those things may never happen. And second of all, he's not going to give you that ticket until it's time to get on that train. And, And you don't need that grace. And that's what that scripture means. It's kind of a funny scripture where it says... Um, do not worry about tomorrow, for today has enough trouble of its own. What that means is God is only going to give you the grace for what is going on today in your life. Sufficient for the day. Sufficient for the day. That is right. And that's why Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's what you start with in the Lord's Prayer. You know, I mean, it's like that. Our daily bread. And this, you know, there's a million examples of that. That's why he... The manna in the wilderness is another one. They could only get what they needed for that day. And if they got extra, it was stinky. So that's the thing. If you get extra grace right now, it might not even apply to your life. So you don't even need the grace for that. So it'll go stinky. So you, you need the grace when you need it. And you need it to be fresh grace for that particular thing at that time. So, and also, um, Rosie was saying to me why, why she was wanting me to clarify a little bit about Romans 8, 28, when, you, you know, because it is true that God works everything for good. And she was saying, why do you not like that when people say that to people? Because, I, and I didn't clarify that real well. I don't like it when somebody takes that verse out and dismisses your pain with it. That is what is wrong with the way that verse is used. Is people will pull that out so they don't have to enter your pain and they'll be like, see, everything's going to be good. It's, they might as well look you in the face and go, it's all going to be okay. What are you worried about? And walk off and leave you there hurting. Okay, so that's what I don't like about that verse. It drives me absolutely nuts when people like put that, like somebody's just announced that their relative has cancer or something and somebody puts, you know, God works all things together. Well, and duh, the person already knows that too, you know. So it's like you're being, you're preaching at them, and you're dismissing their pain. We really, we should probably have a whole seminar because we're all terrible at this on how to enter the pain of other people and really help them. There are whole books written on that, 
And, um, and I actually have a book that a friend of mine gave me. I've not read all of it, but I've read it and in particular situations with that when I need it. It was written by a Christian author, and I have it at home. But it's what to say in certain circumstances. Like what is truly comforting? What is biblically comforting, you know? In, in, during when somebody's going through a divorce or had a death in the family or something. So anyway, but we need to learn to enter each other's pain and we need to not be scared of it. It's okay to hurt as humans. Jesus hurt a lot, you know, and he expressed his pain. And so um, it's okay to enter into that with somebody else and let them just pour out their heart and let them tell you their pain and you don't have to fix it. And you also don't have to give them a scripture verse every single time. And then there are moments when we need to take scripture to remind ourselves of what the truth is. We, we, all, we do need to do that. So I hope that clarifies that. Okay. Barbara Rainey says this about life. All of life is learning to trust and rest in him as a child. Isn't that true? All of life, that's what it's about. Learning to trust God and rest in him. Because we're really terrible at it. So we're going to look at Psalm 23 today, and because this psalm, we use this psalm a lot of times, and we think it's about us. You know, we're the sheep, and people talk about we're the sheep, and Jesus is our shepherd. But really, what this psalm is about is not the sheep, it's about the shepherd. And so when you're, you've got difficulty in life, and things are coming or not going so great, or just in your everyday, maybe things are great for you right now. But you need to understand that you have a shepherd who's watching over you. And we're going to talk about some of the things he does for you here. So it starts, of course, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So... um, This psalm is a thorough example of what we just read in Romans 8, okay? And particularly Romans 8.32, where it talks about the love of God. Who has Isaiah 43.1? Somebody have that? Okay, isn't that a beautiful verse? I have called you by name, you are mine. And that's what a shepherd does. Do you know, I think Rusty talked about this when he was doing, because it was so funny, because I was preparing this, and I was like, maybe I should just have Rusty come do this session. (laughs) But that the fact that the, remember when he did that whole thing about the shepherd and the sheep and everything? And he said, the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. That, so when Jesus calls you by name, you hear it and you go. So, and the job of a shepherd truly is one of constant care. So it means when you're the shepherd, you're on call all the time. You're taking care of the sheep. You're doing all kinds of things for them. And if you've ever taken care of any kind of animals besides dogs and, and independent cats, but like if you've ever had to take care of like farm animals, you know that is hard work and it is a job of constant care. You're always doing something for those animals. So that for us is a comfort because what that means is that God, if the Lord is your shepherd, He is constantly taking care of you. We don't think about that. We run to Him when we've got a need and we bring it up and we think that He's just now noticing. You know, like He's got, God's got bigger fish to fry, so He's off doing something. And then when I run to Him with my need, He 
It's, we get in our mind like he turns around and goes, oh, okay, what do you need, Christy? You know, but that's not true at all. He's constantly taking care of you. He's watching you all the time. As the Spirit, as we read about, the Spirit is interceding for you all the time. So you're constantly being taken care of by God. The verb that's used here is used in other places in the Bible, and it means lacking nothing. So you're under the constant care and eye of your shepherd and you lack nothing because of that. So um, then in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And <laughs> what makes me laugh about this verse is it doesn't say we, the sheep lie down in green pastures or we lie down in... What does it say? He makes me. Because we are horrible at that. Like It's like Jesus has got to force you down. Okay, girl. You got to lay down here, you know. And sometimes that is what suffering is about. Sometimes suffering is in your life to make you lay down in front of him and just and hold on to Jesus. And so and and make you rest, you know? The day after Betsy's funeral, that was Sunday, last Sunday, we didn't come to church. Um and I always have feel guilty about that when I don't go to church, you know, like I was being a bad girl. But we were exhausted. I'm telling you, like, I don't think I could have gotten a shower that day if somebody had said, I will give you $500 if you'll go upstairs and take a shower. I was just like so... And Johnny and I both literally, we took Hannah Grace downstairs and we put her on the sofa in between us and we stayed in our pajamas and we slept on and off the entire day. I was so tired. And it was like the Lord just said to me, you need to lie down. You need to rest, you know. And so he's going to watch over you and he's going to do that. And the sheep, we are the sheep, we constantly are straying and getting wounded. Like there's always, we're either wounding each other or we're wounding ourselves and we're constantly doing that. So the shepherd's job is to constantly be finding the sheep and he's constantly binding them up and restoring them. And that's what it says right here. He leads me, he's making you lay down, he makes you rest, then he'll lead you behind the still waters, and then he will restore your soul. And not only does that mean spiritual restoration, it means physical restoration. He's constantly binding you up on all the things that hurt you. Um, This is what... There is an entire Table Talk magazine in August of 2018. I don't know if y'all know about Table Talk magazine. You can get it from Ligonier Ministries. And it's a daily devotional. But they also, in the magazine, has um, for every month, there's a theme. that they And they have incredible Christian writers come in there and write. I think that's where I pulled Steve's article out of from that one in 2005. But basically, they write on a topic. And so the one for August of 2018 was Psalm 23, The Lord is My Shepherd. And so then you have all the best Christian minds writing in there. So this guy named... Um, this, his name was Benjamin Shaw, and this is what he had to say in Table Talk when he's talking about this. Except for the new life... None of this restoration is instantaneous. The healing of the sick and the wounded takes time. 
The strengthening of the wheat takes time. The renewing of the appetites and of the mind takes time. So when it says here that he restores your soul, the one instantaneous thing that happens to you for restoration in new life is when Christ brings you back to life and you come to him. But then all the rest of the restoring of your soul that he does over your whole life is like a shepherd. You're const- he's constantly taking you from another field to another field. He's constantly binding your wounds. He's constantly healing you. So there are some things in your life that we've talked about that are difficult that may never go away. And the Lord is going to work on those wounds over your whole lifetime. And he, and, but the great news is he's a shepherd of constant care. And he's never going to stop working on you. He's going to always be binding up your wounds. He's going to, if you stray off, he's going to, you are guaranteed if you belong to him and you be the little straying sheep, he's going to come after you and he's going to pull you back because he's constantly caring for you. So you can just let that go, that wor- you know, worry about what if I leave the Lord or what if I'm not constantly with him or anything. You don't have to worry about that. He's coming to get you. He knows you're a dumb sheep. And he will just come and get you, and he will bring you back. He knows it. So you don't have to worry about it. And he's always going to do that. Okay, now talking about the, the waters here, leading you behind beside still waters. Who's got Isaiah 49.10? Okay, so the Hebrew word being used here for waters and in that passage it means literally waters of rest. So it, it means that the water that God's going to take you to is a place of rest. Okay? And let's look at Matthew 11.28. Who's got that? Because this will tell you where our rest is. Who's got Matthew 11.28? Somebody have that one? Okay, well, I'll just go here and get it real quick. Everybody turn there because this is a good verse. Y'all probably already know it. But Matthew 11, um, let's start with verse 27. He says this, all things, and, and this is Jesus talking, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay, so Jesus is saying to you there, I have a special relationship with God and I am sovereign. Okay? I am sovereign over who knows. And I've picked my own sheep out. And then he says this, In in light of that, come to me all who labor and are heavy heavy laden and I will give you rest. So our waters of rest is in Jesus. So when he says here, He leads me beside the still waters or he leads me beside the waters of rest. That means that God will constantly, Jesus will constantly be calling you back to himself. That's where your rest is. So your whole life as your shepherd, he's just going to keep bringing you back to himself so you can get rest. So you can leave all your burdens there with him so you can let go of that thing. You can trust him. And the only way to, when Jesus says, bring me your burdens, the only way to do that is you've got to trust him. 
So he's going to work on that trust in your life, your whole life. And, but he keeps leading back to himself. Okay, and then verse 3, he's, he goes on to say, He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. All right, first of all, one of the things I love about this is you don't have to know the way. He's the one leading. It says, He leads me. We don't have to know the path. Psalm 25, 9 says this, He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. So if you belong to him, he's going to lead you the right way, and he's going to teach you. And then Psalm 31, 3 says this, For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. So right there, that's the same verse. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And this one in Psalm 31, 3 says, For your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. So that's obviously a theme here in the Psalms, is that Jesus is the one. You don't have to come up with the path. You don't have to figure it out. He promises you. And once again, guys, this is just like what we read in Romans 8. These are not admonitions for you to follow Jesus. This is fact of what he is doing for you. So just let go of that. He's doing all this for you. And this will make you worship Him even more is to know He's doing that. He's going to make sure you're going in the right path because it's important to Him. For His name's sake, He can't do anything but be what He is. And what He is is madly in love with you. Do you think about that? That God, your shepherd, is madly in love with you. And he can't do anything but love you. He is going to do it because that's what his name is. It's for his name's sake. He loves you. So he's going to make sure that you're rested. He's going to come after you over and over again. He's going to bind up your wounds. Every time you get hurt, he's going to be there to bind up your wounds. Then the next one deals specifically with suffering. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now let me tell you a little bit about this. First of all, we have to understand what the rod and the staff was for, and I think Rusty touched on this if you remember this. But a rod and a staff were for two different things. The rod was for beating off the big, it was a big old club, basically is what it was, and it was for beating off the wild animals. So you can picture your shepherd with a rod beating Satan away from you and keeping him away from you. Just when Jesus said, Satan sought that he should wanted to sift you, Peter, but I prayed for you. So you know that he's protecting you from the evil one. And he even prayed that. You remember in the high priestly prayer, he said, keep them, don't take them out of this world, but keep them from the evil one. So Jesus has already covered that, and his rod is protecting you. The staff was, enough, was like a tool for using with the sheep, and that was for dragging the sheep back. So you've got two things of protection happening to you there. The, sh- the shepherd is protecting you in two different ways. He's keeping evil away from you, He's, which the worst evil is to turn you from God. That won't happen. He's protecting you, and that will not happen. And then when you stray off... Before he has to go use the club to beat up whatever is you're about to get yourself into, he grabs you with that rod, with that staff and drags you back. And so you, you just can rest in that, that the shepherd's got it. He's protecting you. So, 
And this is, and he's talking about in suffering. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear not. And the reason we cannot be afraid when suffering comes is because he's right there with you with the rod and the staff, and he's taking care of you. If you start to drift away from him because of your suffering, he's going to drag you back and bring you back to himself. You can count on that. He promised. He's madly in love with you. He doesn't want you going anywhere. So he's going to drag you back. So, and then he's going to keep the evil one from, turning, from making your thoughts become... He's not going to let Satan sift you to the point where you, you can't fall away from him. He's secured you. So, um, and I'll just tell you, the last week of Betsy's life, she was suffering a lot. And glioblastoma is a hellacious way to die. I'll just tell you that. And, um, and we had been warned about that by several people. And I remember one specific day, this is about three days before she died, two things happened that were heart-wrenching and very difficult for us to deal with. She had not been able to swallow for five days. And when you're on hospice care, basically there's no IV or anything like that. They just are trying to keep you comfortable because she's not going to get better. We knew she was dying. So they had a swab in her mouth out to keep her mouth moist and that kind of thing. And they had her on a lot of pain medicine because she was in a lot of pain. So um, on Sunday night, Johnny and I were standing next to her bed. And the last clear sentence without opening her eyes that she said to us was, I need water. Well, I'm just telling you, that is tough. I mean, like, in my heart, I was just like, oh, my word. Lord, why are you leaving her here? We were begging God to take her home. And so we were swabbing her mouth out. And I mean, I was just hurting for her so bad. And then Monday morning, she died on Tuesday morning at 3 in the morning. Um, I was there because that bothered me that she asked us for water. And I was so disturbed by it that I went immediately back the next morning to talk to the hospice nurse. And she said, you know, the hospice nurse was so great. They're so sweet about telling you everything. She said, she's real, it's way worse on the family than it is on the person. She said, she's, her body is shutting down. She doesn't need water. It, it really is okay. We're just going to keep her mouth. What she m- needs is that feeling of her mouth not being dry. So we're just going to keep swabbing her mouth. And I've upped that. Everybody's going to be checking that constantly. And you all can be doing that while you're here. But then they needed to try to move her in the bed to put the what they do is she could no longer swallow, so they put the morphine right here in, the, in your cheek because Johnny explained to me you have a whole lot of vessels right here and it'll get into your body. And they had put, they, she was on morphine in her cheek every two hours to try to control her pain. And they pulled her up in the bed to try to get the morphine in a good place. And her hand went up in the air, and she was moaning, and they were trying to move her in the bed, and you could tell she was in horrendous pain. And I'm just telling you, I almost came unglued. I was at the end of the bed sobbing and just begging the Lord to take her. And I walked out and got in my car, and I said, I do not understand why she's still here. Why will you not take her home? And I had been studying this to prayer prayer for this. And the Lord just immediately brought to my mind, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
And y'all, that was a moment when I had to practice the thing of what my feelings and my physical body told me was not true. Because to me, physically, it looked like God had abandoned her. I mean, I just kept looking at her going, where are you in this, God? Why will you not take her home? So, but the Lord brought this verse to my mind. And I had to think that no matter what it appeared to me, He was with her in a way that I could not understand. And I heard Beth Moore years ago do a, a series on this. And Beth calls it the place of farther still. And she says that in life, there is some pain that people endure where another human being cannot go with them. And only God walks there with them, and it's holy ground. And she named it the place place of farther still. She took care of her mother until she died of cancer. And so she knew the, the pain of doing that. And she said, I remember just the Lord pressing that on my heart one day was, Beth, you can't go here with her but I am with her. And so that's what this scripture means. And if you're walking through something that is so painful that another human being really can't give you any comfort, you can count on your shepherd being there because he will never leave your side. And that brought me great comfort. I got in the car and I drove home and I said to myself, I can let go of that. I can let go of trying to make that better for Betsy because Jesus is with her. I know that to be true. That's what the scripture tells me. And I'm not going to go by my feelings. I'm going to believe what God says in his word. And we left that Johnny and I went back to see her that night and she was sleeping and she was very peaceful, totally unresponsive. And she went home the next morning at three in the morning in her sleep. So that's part of what we talked about with when your feelings don't tell you that, you need to know it to be true. Um, So... The end result is verse 5. I've never understood this until I was studying this some more. Why all of a sudden we went from the whole shepherd and the valley and everything to all of a sudden we're at a table and a feast. Well, it's kind of like the end of Romans. You know how the way in Romans it's going along and um, you're reading all this stuff and then all of a sudden he just... Paul just bursts into worship of the Lord and says, this is the final beauty of it all. You know, well, that's what's happening here is that this first few verses is a picture of our life here and how hard this is. But the fact that you've got a shepherd that's constantly caring for you and walking over and taking care of you with the final result being glory one day when we will one day feast at the table of the Lamb And all the things that were wrong, all the things that were hard, the presence of your enemies, that those who don't know Christ will see the truth. And God will make everything right. And we're going to be home with Him in the presence of His, in the, and like the very presence of your enemies, they will see what the truth is. So, And our heads will be anointed as kings. There's a couple of different things here with anointing your head with oil. That that will be, in glory, we'll all be anointed as children of the king, saints in glory. It's going to be wonderful. So, But also, I read in the table talk thing, they were talking about the whole thing with oil and sheep, is that there is a certain 
um, fly that can get in a sheep's ear and in his nose, and it can, it can make the sheep crazy and make the sheep go septic. And so the way the shepherds protected the um, sheep from that happening was they would, it was part of the shepherd's job to rub this oil all in the sheep's ears and all in his nose because the larva from that fly don't like that oil and they, can't, they won't nest in there. So that's just another picture of God is protecting you. He's got the oil of his protection over you to keep the evil away from you and from keeping you from being destroyed. So there's two pictures of the oil there. So um, John MacArthur says this about this. The able protector, your shepherd, your able protector is the abundant provider. That's what this is a picture of. He's protecting you. The able protector is also your abundant provider. And he will provide everything you need. And the conclusion of that is verse 6. If all of this is true, and if God is going to make all things right, how do we live in light of that? Surely, he uses the word surely, no matter what happens, we are sure that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of the life of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why are we sure of that? Because of what he says that he is doing for us. Because of what we read in Romans 8. Because of the very fact that God is madly in love with you, and you can't be separated from that. So I hope that encourages you today. Um, The last little thing I wanted to show y'all, I just wanted to share this with y'all. I went back and forth over whether I was going to share this photo with you, but I decided that I would. So Ashley's going to put this photo up because I think this is a good conclusion. I've used Betsy's story today, which she would love if she knew that, that she's still having a ministry. Um, I've... I've used her story to encourage you that God will walk you home and that our suffering does have a meaning. So, And when you drink the cup of sorrow, remember it's also your cup of joy. And I want to read you this from page 346. This is what Henry Nowen has to say about this. And this photo, guys, I didn't take this, but that is my four sons, my four grown sons as her pallbearers at her funeral. Somebody that was at the funeral saw the picture and saw how beautiful it was and took it and emailed it to me. And to me, when I saw that, it wasn't, it was personal because those are my four grown sons and that's Betsy's casket. But it was such a picture of life. It was such a life photo. And I just thought, this is beautiful beautiful in a way that only believers can understand. There, there is their aunt that they had played with and who had helped raise them and they were her pallbearers for her funeral and got to be kind of the ones that helped send her on to glory. And the service was beautiful. It was a worship ceremony. And just the thing that just... When I looked at their faces, because this is my, my hair right there on the bottom, um, and somebody took that over the back of my head, and I looked up, and that is what I saw. And I had the most 
incredible mixture of feelings at that moment. The joy of knowing that my four sons that she helped raise are godly men who love her and were pleased to be the pallbearers for their Aunt Betsy. And the fact that for believers, this is not a picture of sorrow. She is gone on. We were having a party. She is not in that casket. And she has gone on to glory. And only believers can have that kind of joy. This is what Henry Nouwen says. When we're crushed like grapes, we cannot think of the wine we will become. The sorrow overwhelms us, making us throw ourselves on the ground face down and sweat drops of blood. And our Savior did that. Then we need to be reminded that our cup of sorrow is also our cup of joy. And that one day we will be able to taste the joy as fully as we now taste the sorrow. I hope that this has encouraged you today and that, and that it's girded your loins <laughs> for the way that we need to look at, at life. And the last quote I want to read is from Elizabeth Elliot, and we're going to close with this. Wait on the Lord for whatever He appoints. Wait quietly. Wait trustingly. He holds every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month, of every year in His hands. Thank Him in advance for what the future holds, for He's already there. Lord, You have assigned my portion in my cup. Remember that from Psalm 16 earlier? Shall we not gladly say, I'll take it, Lord. Yes, I'll trust You for everything. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank You that we can rest in You. That You're our Good Shepherd. That You're constantly caring for us. That You are leading us on the path You want us to go. You're protecting us every step of the way. And one day, we will see it all from the standpoint of heaven and glory and continuous bliss. Help us to remember that You're madly in love with us. And that we can rest in that and know that you're a good shepherd, an almighty shepherd who's taking constant care of us. And we're so grateful. In Christ's name, amen.
Thank you. 